Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the book of Romans, Pastor Murphy showed us that God will judge man according to reality and not religious profession. Today we'll continue to see the error of religious profession and the test of reality. Now turn with me please to your Bibles in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 2. I want to pick up where we left off in our last message on this chapter. And uh, we left off at verse number 16. And so I want to read from verses 17 to 29. And uh, we want to uh, pick up there. If you want a title for the message this morning, it would be reality and not profession. That would be the theme that we've covered this morning, reality and not profession. And look at uh, verse 17 as I read this passage to you. Verse 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resteth in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approveth the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light to them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes which has the form of knowledge and of truth in the law. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man shall not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law through the breaking of the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. As it is written, for circumcision verily profiteth if you keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it is fulfilled the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision doth transgress the law. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. The third thing that Paul points out here, he said that, don't make us thy boast of God. And what that simply means is that the Jews are very proud, very, very proud of the fact that they worship Jehovah. And that they believe like nobody believed that there was one God. They were what you call monotheists. 
All the pagans around them were polytheists. They had all kinds of gods. Gods for the sky, gods for the sea, gods for the earth, gods for the plant. The nation around them, they had idols and they had all kinds of stones. And Jeremiah, one of the prophets, makes a joke of the people. He said, you go and cut down a tree. And when you cut down the tree, you form a pan out of it and you cook your food out of it. And then you take what is remaining and you create an idol and say, this is my God. You talk about mockery. But Paul is saying that's not the case with you Jews. You have a special revelation that was only one true God. And while all the pagans around you were claiming out monotheism, you held to this one true monotheistic belief. And, and you, you boasted to the nations around you that we've got the true and the living God. You've got fakes. But the important thing that Paul is trying to get across here, and in spite of all of that, Paul will later tell them the same pagans, that you feel that you're so excelled in terms of your religious beliefs and you're boasting about God. It's the same pagans that turn around and blaspheme name God because of you. See? See? You come to that shortly. Are you a Christian this morning? Big profession. I, <laughs> you know, I know God, Pastor. I got the word, Pastor. Uh, Pastor, I, I boast the fact that I am a Christian. Again, I want to say to you, that alone will not stand up before God. And the essence of what Paul is saying is trying to draw to our attention, unless there is an inward reality, something that has taken place in your life, real, genuine, transforming, he's saying to you, it isn't worth a dime. It isn't worth a dime. Does that make you feel uneasy? It should. It really, really should. See. We need to wake up. And that's what Paul is trying to do in this passage. To wake the Jews up to the reality that they really, really are not what they claim to be. See. Wake up. And then the fourth thing that Paul says that uh, about them, he said, And you know the will of God. Verse number 18. And know it's the will of God. Now, in a sense, the Jews knew the will of God because having the law, the law was an expression of God's will. If you go through the Mosaic law, you'll find that it, it tells what God's will is in respect to civic affairs. You'll find it tells them what God's uh, will is in respect to uh, religious matters. You'll find that it also tells you what God's will in respect to, to mortal concerns. Uh, it has to do with the law deals with domestic issues. It also deals with the judicial system in Israel. It even deals with international affairs, who you can associate with on the international level. If the Jew want to know what God's will, the law was there. It, it spelled up. As a matter of fact, it was so meticulous, it went down even to the matter of food. What food you could eat and what dress you can wear. And even what you could plant. So no one in all the world knew God's will better than the Jews. The law was so meticulous. As a matter of fact, when you read it, as Paul says in, in Acts chapter 15, it was a burden. You can't read the law without feeling it was a burden. Imagine you can't plant two different types of trees together. Imagine you can't wear two different colors of shirts uh, with two different things. You read it very, very, very much. Now the reason for that is that God was always teaching people, you must be separate and distinct. That was the whole thing. You must be distinct from those around you. 
So when you read these things and they're burdensome, if we had to do them today, we must understand the mindset that you got a world filled with idolatry and ungodliness and God is saying, I am calling you out of that and I want you to be distinctly set apart. You must not be like that. So these are the ways in which I will manifest to the world that you're different. We understand the mindset, but it was a burden. Paul called it a yoke that not even your fathers could carry. See? See? But the point that Paul is making here, they're claiming to be the Jew. And Paul is saying, you knew the will of God. You knew the will of God and because you had the law. So the Jews became what you call the moral and, eth- the, moral and the ethical policemen of the world. See? They knew right from wrong. And then number 5 and verse 18, Paul said that you were instructed... Out of the law. Now, those of you who study the New Test, the Old Testament, and you see what the requirements were in connection with the priests and the Levites, uh, one of the, the responsibilities of the priest is that he would have an itinerary, and he would go from village to village, and his job was to instruct the people from the word. He was like a modern preacher during the post-exilic time. When the Jews returned, that, that, that ministry was transferred to the synagogue. As in the synagogue where you had the scribes and the Pharisees, the so-called doctors of the law. In the time of our Lord, every time he went to the synagogue, they were dealing with the word. So the Jew was so uniquely blessed. God not only gave the law and said, read it for yourself. God not only said, this is my will, but God said, I'm going to make sure that you, under, because I'm going to have somebody teach it to you. The Apostle Paul is demarcating every single privilege and opportunity and responsibility that that fell to the Jew. He was in a unique position in a pagan world. He was blessed. The word of the Jews here, you're instructed in the law. We get the word catechism from it. It's the word catechio. So you are catechized in the will of God and in the word. This is what Paul is drawing to the Jews. Now, by the way, this is what they are claiming. Paul is just saying, this is what you boast about. This is what you claim. So those are the five things that the Jews claim. Now, may I ask a question? Is there any difference between the Jew and the Christian today in those matters? Now, you, you think about it very carefully. Are these five things not true of us? Are these not the things that we claim? But why do you think, in the case of the Jew, there was profession without reality, and there's reality with your profession? What makes you different than them? How come they are hypocrite, and you are not? Why do you feel that the Jew was this way, but you are not this way? This is where we must bring home the teaching of the Bible to plow up our own hearts and our own condition. Look, I don't have the statistics, and I wish this morning I checked it. I probably will go online, and you can go online and check it. But there are some people in the church, the modern church, that are deeply concerned about the state of the church. And some of them are making some pronouncements that make your hair curl about, in their view, what percentage of a congregation is really saved and which is lost. It's staggering. Staggering. And that has happened because we got so many people who profess Christianity, 
But you will never know they're Christians if you watch them. You go to his workplace and you will never know that person is a Christian. See him on the playing field, you'll never know he's a Christian. You go to his home, you'll never know he's a Christian. But when you come to church, Christian. We got tons of people like that. He goes to school. If you were to go to school and uh, visit his classroom or maybe talk to his teacher, and you were to say, you know, how you like John or one of our fine Christians? Who? Who? That's the kind of people that makes up our churches. See? And Paul is saying to these Jews, I want you to understand one thing. You're going to come under the judgment of God at some time in the future. And one of the things you've got to realize is that all the profession you got, without the reality, it means absolutely nothing. So that's the, the Jews' religious claims and religious profession. And verse 19 to 20, Paul talks about what comes out of a person who has this, make these religious claims and who, who uh, in their eyes, they've got it and nobody has got it. See? It's something called religious pride. And that's what we have in verse number 19 to 20. The gist of these two verses, by the way, is that Paul is saying to the Jews, you know, your profession and what you believe about yourself have helped, made you begin to look down on the pagans. What, what your profession has done is pumped you full of pride. It's blown up your head, giving you a false concept of yourself. And you look down from your ivory tower of pride and the others and said, hey, that is what they are. This is what we are. And so Paul talks about this whole matter of spiritual superiority. By the way, anytime, anytime the element of superiority comes into the life, you can't help it. There is pride in that person. No, pride is a sin. Has always been a sin. But religious pride is luciferic. It comes from hell itself. See? The worst form of pride is this religious cockiness. That I have it. Sorry, fellas, you don't. This is what Paul is trying to say. And you notice that Paul talks about four areas of this pride. He talks about, first of all, they said that we are guides to the blind. Then he said we are light to those in darkness. Then he said, we are the corrector of the foolish. We are teacher of babes. So the Jewish concept of the Gentile was this. They are in darkness. They are foolish. They are neophytes. And, and they are totally blind. But we, we are the guides, we are the light, we are the correctors, and we are the teachers. This is how they view the Gentile world. Now, God's given them so much light and so much understanding and blessing them with so many privileges. It didn't humble them. It filled them with pride. See? So rather than reaching out to the heathen in humility, see? they now stand above the heathen and said, We are guides to you. We are your teachers. You are just neophytes. 
You're ignorant and foolish. We Jews, we got it all. That is what you call religious pride. And the Apostle Paul is going to demolish that pride. Because the next thing that Paul does in verse 21 to 29 is to give them what I call the test of reality. And you know what Paul does in this particular passage? The Apostle Paul put the Jew on the stand and like an interrogating attorney, he said, I have, I want to interrogate you. And I want to ask you some very clear questions. Respond to that. And so Paul crafts his questions together and this is what he asks in verse 21. He said, you that teach other people, do you teach yourself? Do you learn from what you teach others? That's the question. Then Paul says to them, you that tell others they steal, do you steal? Do you steal? And then Paul says, you that warn others that adultery is a criminal act against God, do you turn around and commit adultery? You who say idolatry is wrong, do you rob temples? The Apostle Paul is using those terms very carefully because he's relating to the Jewish situation. He's not relating to our situation. And if he was going to do an interrogation of us today, he would have asked similar questions of us. Today we would say, you preach. But do you practice what you preach? Today we would say, do you walk the talk? Maybe different lingo, different language, but the same principle. And what Paul is trying to say to the Jew is this. All your profession, all your pride, here's a reality test. Do you live like how you claim? That is what Paul is dealing with here. Are you real, are you authentic, or are you a fake? And there are three tests I mentioned to you. First of all, there's a reality test of what I call um, evidence, uh, reality test, which has to do with the test of evidence. The only way you can ever vindicate your professional faith in Jesus Christ is by what you do and how you live. This is the point that Paul is making here. A man or woman who makes a profession of faith, it is only a hollow profession of faith unless there is some substantial evidence of that in the visible way in which he lives and what he does. You can stand on Mount Obama. And you can say, I'm a Christian! I want the world! I want Antigone! I'm a Christian! I've got the will of God! I know the law! I've got... My only question to you is this. You that teach others, do you, do you teach yourself? You that say that a man should be honest, are you honest? You that say a man should not commit adultery, do you commit immorality? You that a man that said a man should not practice idolatry, do you practice idolatry? Do you put something before God? Now when we put it in that language, aha, uh -huh, it makes a different story, see? 
So we can look at Paul castigating the Jews. And we can look down our noses at them and say, you know, that's exactly. But when we really take it and apply it to ourselves, it should unsettle us and create an uneasiness. Because we are concerned about evidence. The reality test of evidence, the litmus test of whether a person is a spiritual believer or not, is the test of fruit. Is there any fruit in your life? Our Lord said, by your fruits, you shall know them. And Paul is saying to these Jews, in spite of all you claim, all you claim, when it boils down, it boils down to this. Do you practice what you do? Or what you claim to be. And if the answer is no. Here's, the, here's what Paul's going. Here's what Paul. It's not reality. It's just not reality. See? When God judges us. It is not all the profession. It has to do with the inward reality. See? Inward. And the test is going to be. By your fruit. We are not called to judge people, but we are called to be fruit inspectors. By their fruits, you shall know them. See? And Paul's point here with the Jews is simply this. You are not living up to what you profess. And you are in for the shocker of your life when you stand before God and discover that you never had reality. That's the point of the passage. So it's the reality test of evidence, of fruit. Secondly, there's the reality test of effect. Look at verse 24, chapter 2. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. Now what Paul does in this reality test is that he quotes from Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 5. And he's talking about the the prophet condemning the effect of an inconsistent life of people who profess to know God. And what Paul is, is saying here, you profess something but you don't live up to it. As a result of not living up to it, you cause God's name to be slandered, blasphemed, sullied. That's another test. Not only the test, my dear friend, of evidence. Of fruit. But it also the test of the effect of your life on others. Look. If something is offensive. Designed to be offensive. It should produce offensive effect. If something is to help you solve your pain. Whether it be Advil or one of these other things. Or paramour. The point once it is that the effect it should have is to solve your pain. If a man professes to be a Christian and the effect of his life doesn't lead people to feel that he's a Christian, let him say all he wants to, sir. He doesn't have reality. That's what Paul is trying to get across to these Jews. With all your profession, Paul is saying. What effect have your life have on the heathen around you? Did you, you know, by the way, the, 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 the reason why God created the Jewish nation is that they were supposed to have a centripetal effect. 
The effect of Israel was to be like a shining light. You ever saw, you ever have your light on in your room at night and then all the bugs flying around the night? They attracted to the light. See? That's what the Jew was supposed to be. They were supposed to be a shining light and all these Gentiles seeing that light rush into the kingdom of God. A centripet, draw the people. But Paul is saying, rather than draw the people, you drove them away. And how did you drive them away? You caused them to blaspheme the name of God. What effect is your life having on other people? Is it leading people to want to be a Christian? Desire to be a Christian? Or, or, or if I were to go by your workplace, they say, man, if that person is a Christian pastor, I will never be want to be one of them. Is that the effect of your life? What influence? When a person is really a believer, authentically, you know what you want to, you want to, when you meet people, you leave the impression that you are a believer. Does that make sense? And Paul is saying, you Jews, you got all this, you got all this. But when I look for the evidence, I can't, you're doing the same things you said people shouldn't do. <laughs> but not only that, the impact on your life is not drawing people to, to the Lord. It's driving them apart. And you still think you got reality? Look, there's nothing more disturbing than when the word of God begins to plow into your soul and turn you upside down. It's painful, but something that's dreadfully needed in his church. I don't know how many people I have met in life who've told me, Pastor, I have nothing to do with this Christianity. And when you normally ask about why, it is always somebody who claims to be a Christian, whose life has become, you know, Pastor, that guy used to be preaching in church, and he would talk about, you know, you shouldn't do this, but he's the worst kid out there now. How do you explain that? Pastor, that guy used to teach me in Sunday school, but he gone with the people's money. It is not what you profess and all that you claim to have religiously, Paul is saying. It is about reality. reality. And there's a reality test of evidence. There's a reality test of influence. And Paul wants them to understand that very... Look, I go around Antigua... And I see signs all over the place. This company advertising this company and that company advertising this company and so on and so on. All over the place. Do you know you're God's billboard? I don't know if you know that. You're God's billboard. You are there saying to the people, here, you, I am a representative of Christ. I, I, I want you to be part of the Christian faith. I'm advertising for you. Well, you ever seen some billboards that you can't make up what they are? They're so weather, weather beaten, weather torn, etc., etc., that it's such a faded message. You want, what company is that? What company is that? What number do I call? That's like some people's lives, some Christian lives. They are a nondescript nothing. 
And people can't figure out who they are. See, who they are. The reality of evidence, the reality of the impact of a person's life. And then one last thing, verse 25 to 29, Paul says, this is a convoluted argument here. He said, for circumcision verily profiteth if thou keepest the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision made uncircumcision. Therefore, if circumcision keep the, the, uh, keep the, uh, the righteousness of the law, shall not his... And you're saying to him, what all this circumcision talk about? Which, you know, we, we don't change that, you know. And I agree with you because, you know, you, you talk about that. It's all so crude. So crude. But again, remember that Paul is addressing a Jewish people. He's addressing. But the gist of what Paul is saying is this. You have an outward sign that you are circumcised. Outward. It is marked in your body that you are circumcised. But Paul says... But you are circumcised, but you 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 living an unrighteous life. But there's a Gentile over here who never had a knife carried to him yet. But he's living more righteous than you. But yet you claim you've got God. And Paul said something wrong with that. In God's eye, the uncircumcised is circumcised, and the circumcised is uncircumcised. Follow the logic. And then that brings Paul to one point that uh, he has to bring home very carefully. That a Jew is not one who is outwardly a Jew, but one what? Who is inwardly. And then he says, it's not the outward circumcision with a knife, but the inward circumcision by the Spirit of God in a man's life. See? And by the way, what was circumcision a symbol of? It was a symbol Cutting off the flesh that relates to the procreation of evil. When, sir, when we don't, we, our, 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 the flesh is cut off, as it were, when we become Christians. Inward circumcision. The Apostle Paul's point is that there is no reality where there has not been a spirit transforming work in the life, in the inward man. That's what God sees. You see, all I can see today is the badge of what you say. I ain't got a clue what's going on on the inside. I can't see that. Your heart might be as dark as the darkest hell and I don't even know it. Don't know it. I don't even know what you're thinking. You're looking at me so bland, you know. I don't know what you're thinking. Are you saying, Pastor, preach, preach? Are you saying, shut your mouth up? I don't know. But I know one thing, that God sees the fine prints of your heart. And he knows your true spiritual inner state. And take it from me, that and that alone is reality. Nothing else is reality. Now some of you are married and you carry a ring. I got one, I had to cut this one off. Somebody asked me, somebody saw it, it is gone. I had it, when I got married, I was much smaller. <laughs> now, I didn't know my fingers would become fat as well. So what has happened is that there's no way I can get this ring off. I, I, I can put soap on it. I can put anything on it. I, I had to cut it off. And somebody asked me, Pastor, oh, you don't take the ring off or do something. I said, I'm married forever. <laughs> I, 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 stay in there. I'm married forever. I don't need to take it off. 
Now the ring is a symbol of the fact that I'm married, but the ring never married me. It's an outward sign. When you see, and by the way, that's why you should wear your ring, fellas. Ladies, husband, wives, and your husband don't want to wear your ring, you ought to get concerned. You ought to get concerned. Right? Because when you go to work with the ring, the girls who may be interested in you, you may not know this, but they look at your hand. Got a ring. That's a sign. Uh-uh. But there's no ring. They might make a reproachment to you. And, uh, and so on and so on. But the ring, I'm saying, is a symbol. It doesn't matter. Uh, and that's what a profession is. It's just a symbol. By the way, when I was a boy, I didn't know much significance about the married ring. I used to wear rings on my finger. So you mean I was married? I was wearing a ring on my married finger before I was married. I didn't even know that that's the married finger. The point I'm trying to get across to you that the symbol is not the reality. That's my point. And that's the point Paul is trying to get across. And by the way, the Apostle Paul is, is so simplistic in his approach. The illustration that Paul used are everything that they can relate to. Because Paul's concern is not to speak above their head in esoteric terms, but bring it down to really, really practical understanding of what he's talking about in that respect. Spiritual reality. Now, without going into the matter of um, delving into the, this whole matter of um, what Paul is saying here, looking in more detail, I had four marks of spiritual reality. I'm going to bypass that. If Paul was writing to the modern church today, this is what he would have said to us. And let me, let me, this is how I translate it. I hear you bear the name of a Christian. And you rest on having the gospel. And you glory in the fact that you know God. You claim that you know his will. And you have the ability to discriminate between right and wrong. And good and evil. Because you've been instructed in the gospel. And you are confident that you are guide to people who can't see clearly. And that you are teacher of those who are ignorant. But do you practice what you preach? Do you denounce stealing, but are you a money grabber? You condemn adultery, but do you practice immorality? You say you're a church member. But do you cause non-church members to slander the name of God because of the way you live? Church membership is indeed good and profitable. If you live up to the demands. Of the gospel. For he is not a Christian who is one outwardly. But one who has an inward change by the mighty working of the spirit of God. That I believe is what Paul would have said to us. And his whole point would be this. We are all going to come before God and we are going to give an account. Now remember, uh, those, uh, we've got some visitors here, but for the visitors who are not here, if you go to chapter 2 of the book of Romans and look up the word judgment and judge, uh, you'll see it's like 16 different times in 29 verses. The whole theme of chapter 2 is about judgment. And we've been looking at the principles of divine judgment. And the principle that Paul is drawing out here is that when God judges you, 
It is not profession that will come, but reality. See? Reality. May I ask you uh, this morning, are you real? Are you real? Are you genuine? Are you authentic? Look, I sat there this morning, I looking at these things here. And I wonder if my wife put orchids. But she's not here, so I know she didn't put them. So I know one thing, they ain't real. But as I sat there, they look so real. So absolutely real, but they're fakes. They're plastic, they're synthetic. Are you real? As we sit here this morning, and we talk on this awesome subject that Paul is dealing with, I want to ask you sincerely, hand over chest like a scout, are you real? Are you real? See, Has something genuinely inside you changed? Can you say, Pastor, I know this change in my life. I can pinpoint it, Pastor. When I'm dealing with people out there and I'm witnessing to them, maybe that's not why I'm so successful in, in coming back to you and saying, well, we had five saved this week. Because I said to those people, I said, you, you married? And if they married, they tell me yes. Or I would ask them another question. Uh, um, but what is designed? I said, you married? And they said, I, said, I said, let me just tell you something, see? You know when you got married? Of course, I know when we got married. I said the same way you know when you got married. When, I, when you get saved, you'll know when you get saved. Serious. There'll be no doubt in your mind when you got saved. You know you got saved. That's when you get what? The real thing. The real thing. I want to warn you. That the most dangerous place in Antigua is Grace Baptist Church. I repeat. The most dangerous place in Antigua is Grace Baptist Church. Because Grace Baptist Church tells you the truth. From the word. It's a dangerous place to be. I'm thinking how to close. And the thought just hit me. When the prophet told Naaman to go dip in the Jordan River seven times and be healed. You remember what he said? <laughs> I thought that man would come over here. <laughs> I'm calling his name of God. I, the prophet Elijah, called on Jehovah, the Almighty, the Invisible, the Omnipotent, the Omnipresent, the Immutable God. I call upon him to do this. But Elijah just came to... Go tell Naaman, the Lord tell him, go and dip seven times in the Jordan River. See? And then he protested. And not the rivers in far, far, and so on, greater rivers than, than in Israel. In the... He said, go tell the man, I, the Lord tell him, go dip in the Jordan River. The point I'm making here this morning, that you came here saying, thinking I can give you some big something. And you said, all the pastor tell me is, Profession without reality. Profession without reality has no standing with God. And that when God judges you, 
What matters with God is not profession, but reality. See? So you wanted something much bigger than that. Could I say something to you? Why well, you don't humble yourself and get in the Jordan River? See? Humble yourself and get in the Jordan River. See? Hear the word. Submit to the word. That's what I'm saying. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being so probing in your word. Oh, how we can read the Bible and it never impacts us. We glibbed over it. We never ponder its thoughts and weigh its words and measure ourselves by that standard. We're so busy going here and there, hither and thither, concerned about all worldly affairs and our own personal lives. Time has taken over the entire canvas of our lives. Eternity has receded. And we don't even have time to take a careful, careful forensic examination of ourselves. To compare ourselves, not with others around us, but with your people, the Jews. Because in a measure we have replaced them. We are now the instruments that you're using. It's called the church. And there's so much we can learn from them. And Paul calls our attention to one thing we can certainly learn this morning. That in the process of our judgment, of God's judgment of us, what really is going to matter in that day is not how much we can profess, but whether we actually have the reality of the inward circumcision of the heart by the Spirit of God. Something happened that has changed us. And we outwardly demonstrate what we inwardly possess. There's no fakery with us. There's no, no bogus representation with us. What people see is what we are. Help us to be authentic Christians. And help us to take heed to the warning that Paul gives us in this passage. May every single one of us take these words to heart. Lay them before us. And systematically go through them. So that we might discover. If this subtle thing called the leaven of hypocrisy. Has not secretly worked its way into our lives and we are not even conscious of it we are like a happy go lappy people without any real depth of what we are up against when we stand before a God who sees not only the outward man but sees the heart man look upon the appearance Samuel was told, but God looketh on the heart, and that's what matters. Lord, help me to be faithful in preaching your word to the members of Grace Baptist Church. One day, I am going to give an account for every single person in this ministry. And in that day, I don't want any person 
Standing up and say, Pastor, you didn't tell me, you didn't warn me. I want to be free from the blood of men. I want my conscience to be cleared. So I must use the probing word of God to give the Spirit of God the ammunition and the tools that He needs to really do a deep work in our hearts. Thank you for what you've done, what you're doing, and what you will do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us the marks of hypocrisy. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.